AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Uh-huh, uh-huh, check, check, yeah. I love you all, man, I'm lying. I smoke a bowl while the planet's dying. Man, of iron with a flow that can span horizons. If you lame, then we beef like the vamps and lichens. It's the feeling when somebody swell your bottom lip. Fight for freedom till you got a dip like a side of dip. Waiting on reparations that hip-hop politics. And my homie Joel is on the mix. That's a hot assist. They call me dope because when I spit, then you got to fix. Since the psychedelics are legal now, then I got a trip. <laughs> What's as hot as this? <laughs> oh, I messed up. All right. Hey, what's going hey. on? What's good, people? I'm Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca. And we are waiting on reparations. Hurry it up. So today we have a stacked show for you, another one. We are going to be talking about civil rights activist Asada Shakur. Getting to her activism, her story, if you haven't heard it. And we're also going to talk about her connection to hip-hop and the legendary Tupac Shakur, of whom she's the godmother to. Interestingly, very little can be found online about the relationship of Tupac to his step-aunt and godmother, Asada. But uh, she was very much um, a part of just like Black revolutionary struggle in the 1960s and 1970s, as were Afeni Shakur and Mutulu Shakur. Um Tupac's parents. So we're going to talk about how this sort of permeated the life of Tupac and sort of set him up for the person that he was, in addition to detailing, you know, in specifics, a lot about who Asada was as this notorious figure that today is still being persecuted by the uh, United States government. When did you first, like, become aware of Asada Shakur and your, like, activism? 
I think around the time I started studying like abolition, like when I first started under, like reading the work of Angela Davis and like realized, you know, like we in school get this very sanitized version of what the civil rights movement was. We don't learn about the Black Panthers. We don't learn about people like Angela Davis because they were doing crimes. Like they were, <laughs> they were breaking people out of jail. They were robbing Brinks trucks and like killing police officers and like crazy shit that, you know, is like, like genuine, genuine revolutionary activity. And so around that time is what, you know, when I learned about Angela Davis and her advocacy for um, political prisoners, and that's when I learned about Asada and her advocacy for Asada when Asada was in prison for killing a police officer. No doubt. I think I first became aware of Asada Shakur probably with the Common Song. I mean, we're going to get into that later on in the episode, but I would have to say it was a Common Song for Asada. I think I was watching a hip-hop documentary years ago, and then I saw Common make note of it, and then I was remembered, oh yeah, that song was on that like Water for Chocolate album. So that was my introduction into her. I, I mean, like a lot of other... You know, people, I, I guess I kind of just assumed, oh, Asada Shakur, that's Tupac's mom, you know. So <laughs> I kind of just had that idea in my head and ran with it until I found out more about who she was. So, yeah, we're going to get get into that. But before we do, how's how's your week been? Yo, shit's been crazy. Uh, we've had like five, I guess now six shootings here in the last week or so. Uh, last Saturday. What, like all police shootings or just shootings? All just people just killing each other. Shit. Just people just killing each other. Uh, we had a 20-year-old kid uh, shot and killed last Saturday. This Saturday, there was a, a, a man who lost his life. The suspect in that shooting was 15 years old. And uh, surprisingly, very few leaders are speaking out about it. I think because many folks kind of... Uh, take it for granted this assume that this is what life can be mm -hmm. but like in the last couple of days i've been very involved in like reaching out to the families of the victims of the shootings um i attended the funeral of the, the of uh eb montana who was killed last saturday a 20 year old uh rapper in town and uh it's interesting to me and speaking with these families what they think the solutions are like i gathered with them i like helped you know montana's family organize a candlelight vigil at one of our community centers on Friday, and speaking with people out there, they were like, we need to be investing in these young people. Mm -hmm. We need to be, you know, these people don't ain't got no jobs, they ain't got no programs to be involved in. And so it's interesting, like, I think that, like, people, in this discourse around policing recently, people, like, who aren't involved, who aren't impacted, who aren't, who, who've never lost anyone, are prescribing all the solutions, like, oh, we need, uh, you know, uh, more policing, we need all these things. You go talk to the people who lose family members, they, that's not even something that comes to their mind. That's not even something that's a part of the conversation yeah. for them. And no one is, and I don't think anyone is asking them what their opinion is. And so it's just been like, it, as we also approach like budget season, you know, it was like this time last year that like defund the police became a thing. Just thinking about, just trying to show up for these families that are in a lot of pain right now. And also think about like centering them and how we go about creating policy. But particularly for, you know, Montana, rest in peace, um, beloved young rapper um, here in Athens, um, who, you know, himself had, uh, came out, had some uh, gun charges, and he had a warrant out for his arrest, and so there's, you know, in the media, like, kind of painting him as, like, well, he was no angel. Yeah. When the, it's like, the well, what the fuck do you think gonna, what the fuck do you think these kids are gonna do if we don't give them anything to believe in in this world? 
And so that's just been my world for the last like week or so. But then there's crazy shit happening everywhere. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I've, gun violence is. I, I I don't know for certain that it's like on any sort of record pace, but it seems like shit is getting out of control. I mean, it's not just the mass shooting statistics, but like you have you know individual everyday like uh, occurrences of of gun violence that doesn't even get national coverage because not only is it just like part of the like ubiquitous cycle but then it's like only two people died so it's not a big story or it's only a person here or just somebody got injured all the all the shootings that happen when people get injured that you never hear of you remember the rapper pop smoke who died last yeah. year or recently it came out that uh the killer of him was a 15 year old who saw him on instagram and tried to get his watch and it's not, and it's like, oh, you know, uh, like if we don't rate, I think there's a, maybe a Frederick Douglass qu quote, like it's easier to build strong children than repair broken men. Mm, yeah. But like, it, it's, I mean, we're like, the, ch the children are broken. Yeah, I mean. Like, it's not even like, oh, and they, they grow up and become adults and start doing crazy shit. Like the kids, if you fail to invest in them, that return in a lack of investment. Mm -hmm manifest and, early and it's just like 15 years old. these times that we live in everything is just accelerated as well so you know yeah well we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna switch gears well, <laughs> we're gonna yeah. switch gears and we're gonna get into um this whole thing with asada shakur and the amazing at times story of her life uh we'll be back with all of that and more after the jump talk a little bit about uh, where Asada was from, her early life. Asada Alugbala Shakur was born Joanne Deborah Byron in Queens, New York in 1947 and grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, she began her involvement in political activism while attending Manhattan Community College and City College of New York. Um, and she recalled a conversation about communism with some African students as the spark of some of her revolutionary leanings. She said, I never forget I never forgot that day. We were, were taught at such an early age to be against communists, yet most of us don't have the faintest idea what communism is. Only a fool lets somebody else tell them who his enemy is, which I, mean, I, I think is a good point. Shakur spent a short period of time with the Black Panther Party, organizing protests and community education programs. She even uh, was leading the Black Panther Party chapter in Harlem for a while coordinating with the free breakfast program for children, free clinics, community outreach. She would eventually join the Black Liberation Army due to some disillusionment with what was going on in the Black Panther Party at the time. She said, with a few exceptions, PE, political education classes for party members, turned out to be just the opposite. The basic problem stemmed from the fact that BPP had no systematic approach to political education. They were reading from the Red Book where they didn't know who Harriet Tubman, Marcus Garvey, or Nat Turner were. A whole lot of them barely understood any kind of history, Black, African, or otherwise. So that's something that I never really thought about in detail much, is like that not everybody was on the same page with everything. Yeah, I mean, looking at the, the modern left, like... And like it it, 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 it's almost heartening to know that there were these schisms always of like people who found their organizations lacking and would move on to others, 
or you know that there were these like, like like even these figures and even these institutions that are memorialized so notoriously it's just like just mind-blowing legendary work that they did like we're not perfect and then it's almost it's almost heartening it's like oh no you can like make a lasting impact in history even if you don't have your shit totally together some other stuff that i kind of found about this but i never i could didn't really uh find anything that she says specifically but um apparently there was some feeling on her part that there was a lot of macho shit going on in the black panther party at the time yeah yeah, but, yeah. yeah. so then so she joined the black liberation army or the bla which was an underground revolutionary organization from 1970 to 1981. Uh, it was kind of like the black panthers it's composed of former members and also former members of another organization the republic of new africa but the group's mission statement was to take up arms for the liberation and self-determination of black people in the united states mm. not fucking around so they had some principles that they kind of went by so one that we are anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, anti-racist, and anti-sexist. Two, that we must, of necessity, strive for the abolishment of these systems and for the institution of socialistic relationships in which black people have total and absolute control over their own destiny as a people. And then three, that in order to abolish our systems of oppression, we must utilize the science of class struggle, develop this science as it relates to our unique national condition. In her opening statement in court in 1975, uh, Asada would say, the Black Liberation Army is not an organization. It goes beyond that. It is a concept, a people's movement, an idea. Uh, the concept of the BLA arose because of the political, social, and economic oppression of Black people in this country. And where there is oppression, there will be resistance. The BLA is part of that resistance movement. The Black Liberation Army stands for freedom and justice for all people. In 1970, she was a doctor's assistant volunteering at Alcatraz Prison. At the time, there was a protest going on with some Native Americans about broken treaties and exploitation by the U.S. government. She went on to say, I will never forget the quiet confidence as they went about their lives calmly, even though they were under the constant threat of invasion by the FBI and U.S. military. They had many of the same problems we had, and for damn sure the same enemy. They were doing as bad as we were, if not worse. 1971 was when she changed her name to Asada Olufbala Sikor. Asada is a West African name derived from the Arabic name Aisha, said to mean he sh she who struggles, while Shakur means thankful one in Arabic. Olufbala means savior in Yoruba. She said the name Joanne began to irk my nerves in her autobiography. I had changed a lot and moved to a different beat. I didn't feel like no Joanne or no Negro or no American like an African woman. My mind, heart, and soul had gone back to Africa, but my name was still stranded in Europe somewhere, which then prompted her change. Over the next few years, she would be charged with a slew of crimes, including two bank robberies in New York, the kidnap and murder of a drug dealer, an armed robbery during which she was shot, and the attempted murder of a police officer in an ambush. She was convicted of none of these, and it was all either acquittals or case dismissals. Which is interesting because that she is, but like the memory of her being charged with these crimes outlives the reality of her acquittals or case dismissals. Like we remember her as this like badass, like fucking crazy, you know, doing crimes. Yeah, like outlaw. Lady. 
But it was like most of the shit she was, you know, got dismissed or she was acquitted for. But anyway. And then also, the it's like the other oh, thing yeah, too is just like, you know, if you just do a casual, just casual research, if you're like, you know, wanting to know who she is, the, you know, most of what you're going to find is about like this sort of stuff you know what i mean the, oh she was involved in this and she was involved in that and there was a shootout with this and a shootout with that and it's like you have to dig like a lot harder to like actually find what was obviously most of her life you know which was activism and and you know i mean community service and stuff like that yeah which then recalls for me i mean like i was talking about at the top the recent um you know tragedy with this kid montana where uh he, you know, was allegedly involved in a shootout like a week prior. He may have been in the car, the car may have been shooting in self-defense. In any regard, like, he had warrants out because they thought he suspected his involvement. And uh, so the front page of the newspaper on Sunday was, you know, like, slain rapper had gun warrant, you know, charges, uh, warrant out for gun charges, um, despite the fact that, like, it's not clear if he was involved in the crime. Mm-hmm. He may have, even if he was in the car, he may not have been the person shooting. Even if the person in the car had been shooting, it may have been self-defense. But the story that gets told is that he had warrants out for his arrest, which is very much in contrast to when we speak to his family or like when I attended his service yesterday, people talking about how he made TikTok uh, challenges for kids and he, you know, would take out his neighbor's trash and he would wave at all the city bus drivers and all of these other things that like, aren't as splashy and so don't get picked up in like the, the our, our collect you know and, and, and imprinted in our collective memory of who these people are and then when those things do come to light they don't really have to go back and correct those headlines because and then yeah and then like yeah they, they, nothing ever happens and that's just like that what the memory remains mom met a lot of your demands over the years this mother's day get her the bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand in just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian Cocktail Maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds make mom's mother's day and all the 364 days that aren't mother's day with a bartesian cocktail maker at 50 dollars off visit b-a-r-t-e-s-i-a-n.com backslash mother now to get 50 dollars off the bartesian premium cocktail maker bartesian premium cocktails on demand are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. 
Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. The FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force was issuing nearly daily briefings on Shakur's status and allegations against her. Years later, some police officers argued that her importance in the BLA had been exaggerated by the police, with one saying that they themselves had created a myth to demonize Shakur because she was educated, young, and pretty. So, Doc... The documentary (laughs) evidence suggests that Shakur was targeted by the investigation named Chesrob, which was uh, attempted to hook Asada Shakur to virtually every bank robbery or violent crime involving a black woman on the East Coast. God damn. Although named after Shakur, Chesrob, like its predecessor, New New Kill, was not limited to her. So they were just like... Just coming for her, regardless. I, I mean, it's almost like a parody of <laughs> what you would have. You know what I mean? Like it, it almost yeah, yeah. like if somebody just told you it, it would sound like ah, oh, nah, that's like a movie, you know? But it's like no. That sounds like some conspiracy yeah. shit. I mean, a lot of the stuff that the FBI does. But yeah, it's that real. is that is true. Like when in in hindsight, like a lot of that J Edgar Hoover FBI stuff is literally the plots of movies that have been <laughs> made. So then came the infamous shootout at the New Jersey Turnpike. According to the official New Jersey police uh, spokesperson, Asada was on her way to a new hideout in Philadelphia and heading ultimately for Washington. And a book in the vehicle contained a list of potential BLA targets. She testified to heading to Maryland for a waitress job. Shakur and her two associates were stopped by a state trooper for a broken taillight. Haven't we heard that before? Many, many times. And the result was a shooting that left the trooper Werner Forster dead and one of the men that Asada was with, uh, Zaid Malik Shakur, he was killed. And Asada herself was shot in both arms and her shoulder. Per The Guardian, it was in hospital that she first met Lennox Hines, the national director of the National Conference of Black Lawyers. In the history of New Jersey, no woman, pretrial detainee or prisoner, has ever been treated as she was, continuously confined in a men's prison under 24-hour surveillance without me- adequate medical attention and exercise, he said. Shakur's defense team filed a civil suit against the state, charging that her conditions were cruel and inhumane. She was held for more than a year in solitary confinement in the basement of Middlesex County's jail for Is that just men. out of spite that they held her in the, the men's prison? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She ascribed to all her conditions a unifying theme. Oh, God, the smell. I don't care what jail I've been in. They all stink. They all have a smell unlike any smell on earth, like blood and sweat and feet and open sores. And if misery had a smell, like misery. She was incarcerated until 1977 when she finally got to have her case in court. For The Guardian, there is much evidence to suggest the trial wasn't fair. Transcripts from the jury selection show that at least two jurors expressed prejudice before the start of the trial. There was evidence that the offices of the defense team were being bugged and materials relating to her case went missing from the home of the lawyer Stanley Cohen, were later found with New York City police. They, they're not even Say like, what? they weren't even trying, you know, shit. Um, Hines called the trial 
a legal lynching in a kangaroo court. The defense could not get an expert witness to testify. As Shakur noted, it was obvious I didn't have one chance in a million of receiving any kind of justice. She testified holding on to a photo of her daughter conceived with fellow BLA member Kamayu Sadiki while they were both in jail and born in 1974. The jury reached a verdict after 24 hours. She was found guilty on all seven counts. As Hines explained, under New Jersey law, if a person's presence at the scene of a crime can be construed as aiding or abetting the crime, that person can be convicted of the substantive crime itself. Shakur was handed a mandatory life sentence. So while in prison, Shakur was introduced to liberation theology, which is a synthesis of Christian theology and socioeconomic analyses that emphasizes social concern for the poor and political liberation for oppressed so like, peoples. Actual like Jesus type stuff? Yeah, so like Jesus, but like yeah, real like, Jesus, <laughs> I would argue, is like, yo, homie was hanging out with yeah. the homeless and prostitutes and was like murdered by the state. And like, what does this mean for us today in terms of how we enact you know, a good life as a Christian to upend and disrupt oppression of various kinds. Here's something interesting I found on Wikipedia. Shakur was identified as a political prisoner as early as October 8th, 1973 by Angela Davis. And in April 3rd, 1977, the New York Times advertisement purchased by the Easter Coalition of Human Rights. An international panel of seven jurists was invited by Hines to tour a number of U.S. prisons and concluded in a report filed with the United Nations Commission for Human Rights that the conditions of her solitary confinement were totally unbefitting of any prisoner. Their investigation, which focused on alleged human rights abuses of political prisoners, cited Shakur as one of the worst cases of such abuses. So it's interesting that her particular predicament then led to this larger indictment of the prison system and the practice of solitary confinement in the United States, which is totally abhorrent, if you ask me. But, so, 1979, three members of the BLA walked into the Clinton Correctional Facility for Women with guns and a stick of dynamite, took two guards hostage, uh, commandeered two vans, and broke Asada out of prison in an, uh, what I would call a pretty bold escape. The guards... To be clear, we're left in the parking lot, no one's injured, but uh, they just broke her ass out. They were like, y'all ain't keeping my girl in solitary. Pretty daring escape. You know what? I think, do you think that like with this um, new surgence of like uh, black cinema, do you think we're going to get like a definitive Asada Shakur movie? Do we not have one yet? I don't think we do. I can't recall one. At least nothing that's, you know that's like popping to mind that's like worth noting right now i can't really think of one but just just you know getting to this part of the story is like oh yeah now we i need to see this filmed like what what was the stick of dynamite for what do we <laughs> apparently there was a there was a um documentary uh sada aka joanne chesimard yeah. that came out in came out in 2009 uh I don't know a lot about it, but I mean, but I think more of what we're talking about in the line of like, yeah, exactly, Black like, Messiah, the, like or like you know Denzel casting, Malcolm X, you know, um, Malcolm X, like a like like cinematic like movie, Hollywood, yeah, Hollywood uh, movie, you know, some with a little bit of a little bit of you know fiction and a little bit of historical, you know, one of those blurring the line sort of, you know. So she yeah. was at large fugitive for years after that. 
In New York, three days after her escape, more than 5,000 demonstra- 5, demonstrators organized by the National Black Human Rights Coalition carried signs with, sl- with her name on the slogan. At that rally, a statement from Shakur was, cir- was uh, circulating condemning the U.S. prison conditions and calling for an independent new African state. She was granted political asylum in Cuba in 1994 and has been living in exile there ever since. Over the decades, there have been four or five attempts to try to extradite her back to the United States, with the last being in June 2017, when President Donald Trump gave a speech canceling the the Cuban thaw policies of his predecessor, Barack Obama. A condition of making a new deal between the United States and Cuba was the release of political prisoners and the return of fugitives from justice. Trump specifically called for the return of cop killer Joanne Chestnut. So I remember when that all went down, and that's cool because it kind of lets us transition into our music discussion a little bit. But I remember when that all went down, there was like a brief period of time where a bunch of outlets were like posting it as Trump goes after Tupac's mother. (laughs) <laughs> like, and that that's all they were saying people don't even they like yeah they we weren't even like really like like digging in it like that i guess they were just hearing shakur and then i guess seeing that there was a connection between the two and there was like a slew of headlines that was like trump going after tupac's mother i remember waking up that day and looking on twitter and it's like wait wait what i'm pre- huh mother's day is coming and mom doesn't want flowers she wants a cocktail Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit bartesian.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
But now let's transition to talking a little bit about Tupac and the revolutionary, uh, just like bedrock of who he became that echoes very much a lot of what we have learned about Asada to this point. So Asada was Tupac's step on and godmother. Not much is known publicly about their relationship. And though they were not related by blood, much of her revolutionary activity and stance can commonly be found in the Shakur family bloodline. Tupac's birth mother, Finney, was also an active member in the Black Panther Party. She wrote the Black Panther Party newsletter, Panther Post, and led a successful campaign that tricked the FBI to believe the party was fading. In April 1969, she and a number of other Black Panther were arrested and charged with several counts of conspiracy to bomb police stations and other public places in New York. Sure, those were real charges. When the trial came, Afeni, who was pregnant with Tupac at the time, who had not attended law school and who was facing down a 300-year prison sentence, chose to represent herself in court. One month before giving birth to Pac, she was acquitted of all charges. Pac was very close to his mother, who sometimes also served as his publicist, and he famously dedicated his song, Dear Mama, to her. Afeni and her children moved to Baltimore, Maryland, 1984, during his time at the Baltimore School for the Arts in the late 80s, Tupac began attending meetings in the Baltimore branch of the Young Communist League USA, which he had since renamed itself Tupac, which has since renamed itself the Tupac Shakur Club in his honor. Unfortunately, we could find little about his time with the Young Communist League in the research, but I think the influence as well as his time with the Black Panther could be heard in his anti-imperialist class-conscious lyrics. So Effendi's first hum, hu, uh, husband, Lumumba, was the leader of the Black Panthers in Harlem and married Effendi in 1968. Their marriage unraveled after the revo- their marriage unraveled after the revelation came forth that Lumumba was not Tupac's biological father. In the aftermath, Effendi married Mutula Shakur, Lumumba's adopted stepbrother. Mutula was politically active with the Revolutionary Action Movement, a U.S.-based revolutionary Black nationalist group that applied the philosophy of Maoism to conditions of black people in the United States. He later joined the new the, the Republic of New Africa that we referenced earlier, which is a black nationalist and separatist group that sought reparations as well as to establish an independent black majority nation in the southern United States. Matula shared a close bond with Pac and together they wrote the famous Code of Thug Life, a set of rules discouraging unprovoked violence between gangs. Matulu is currently serving a 60-year prison sentence for his involvement in a 1981 robbery of a Brinks armored truck, in which Matulu, several other members of the Black Liberation Army, in coalition with four members of the radical left organization of the Weather Underground, stole $1.6 million, killing a guard and two police officers in the act. Interesting fun fact, another conspirator in the robbery, another conspirator in the robbery, Kathy Budin, is mother of Chess Budin who was in 2019 elected the district attorney of San Francisco. Damn, it's a a fucking small world when you're creating a a revolution. Small world when you're robbing (laughs) brace trucks. (laughs) Damn, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a crazy story. Yeah, I mean, and so I think, and I think it, it speaks to the fact that, like, under, like, you know, neoliberal and neoconservative policies of the, you know, 70s and 80s, a lot of people, you know, you either became a revolutionary or you became a criminal or the line between was kind them, of blurred. Or, you know, you became a thug or the line between them was very blurred. 
Like, what is the difference between being a revolutionary and being a thug if this is like, if undermining the state is what yeah, this looks I mean, like? You know, if, if this is, you know, that they're engaging in very similar activities, arguably to different ends. When, when on the one end, if you're like, you know, thug life for the accumulation of capital, for, you know, getting yourself out of poverty, for like, right from set, versus like, this other group of folks that were shooting police officers and crazy shit like that, but for, with the aims of like establishing a separatist black state and like things is and so I, I think like in the larger conversation that we have on the show about the relationship between hip hop and politics, like I think studying the lives of Afeni and Mutulu and Asada show us like the many ways that the activity of both hip hop and revolution um, overlap and yeah, no, and I think that it's also good just in a historical context to not not whitewash events or eras and things like that it's like the civil rights movement as we know it to be wasn't like every day was the i have a dream speech you know what i'm saying it's like like there's a lot of this in yeah, the trenches was, <laughs> it involved like thousands of people like with you know, hundreds of individual stories <laughs> of, of how people were, were like contributing to that whole fight and not all of it was pretty, you know what I'm saying? Like, obviously. And that's, that's another theme that I think we're going to continue to explore. Um, but let's get into like the direct music discussion. Oh, you know, just talking about that whole thing with Tupac. Fun fact about me, my godmother is Mae Jameson, who is the first black woman in space. The more you know. Was she also on Star Trek? Yeah, she was also the first real-life astronaut on Star Trek. I think that's the trivia. I love that my response, like, oh, it's not impressive <laughs> enough to me that she went to motherfucking space. I'm like, but was she on Star Trek, though? All right, so. I don't have a cool godmother story, I'm sorry. But well, you have so many cool stories. I just, about... I just got that one. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's pretty dope, that's pretty dope. But yeah, let's turn to look a little bit about, look at uh, some of Asada's impact on hip-hop music, as well as the revolutionary ideologies that she, if any, and others shared, trickled into the music of, of, of Tupac so as well. So the first song that we're going to talk about is the 2000, I guess the only way to describe it as an epic, it's a six-minute long epic song by Common called Song for Asada. It's off of his album, Like Water for Chocolate, produced by James Posner. Let's check that out real quick. Super they asked her, put mace in her eyes, threaten the blaster. Her mind race till things got still. Opened her eyes, realized she's next to her best friend who got killed. She got chills. Common's words about it. He said, it stemmed from me just reading her autobiography. I read the book two or three times. I went down to Cuba. I had to feel every element I could to get in to, so I could write that story. Yeah, he talks about making this move until it's freedom for all those who are oppressed, all those in struggle. And then gets into, like, in very, very graphic detail, you know, the gunshots firing, laying in a puddle of blood and blood bubbling from her chest. And, you know, the feel of, like, the gunshot, like, the open wound of the gunshot. Um, you know, before she was later questioned by the police, like it's very, you know, it's like very viscerally first person. Not it's I, I vivid. Like the the thing that it's vivid. The, it's so the vivid. The first thing yeah. that stands out to me is obviously like the length of it because you know you don't really see too many six minute long rap songs, even when it's about something serious. You know, and we 
I mean, there's decades and decades to discuss with exactly. in her regard. So and we I mean, were just talking about how, oh, that story is so wild that somebody should make a movie of it, you know, or is there a movie of it? And this is kind of the, the hip hop version of that, you know. It's it's a very vivid, very detailed, and visually so recounting of the story that we just told you guys all in. Um, the course of this episode it's kind of like uh I, I did this uh ted talk thing not too long ago and it was like about how when you uh l- rap lyrics seep in more and in information when presented as rap can you know be retained easier and be ingrained in the mind more and i think the song kind of you know proves that because like this is like a summary of our whole episode just now in the six minutes, but it's got like a dope beat to it. Yeah, y'all shouldn't have listened to this. Y'all should have just gone listen to Song for Asada, to be completely honest. Our apologies for wasting your time. So what you got next? So, you know, she gets a shout out on Public Enemies, Rebel Without a Pause, but I think that turning to look at some of the influence of Black Panther and other Black radical ideology in the music of Tupac is is really interesting, particularly if you look at um, Keep Your Head Up, you know, which we all know, but then sort of looking at it through the lens of the influence of strong black female leaders in Tupac's life, it then sort of gives more context to, like, when he says, some say the black of the berries, we have the juice, some say the dark of the flesh, the deep of the roots, I gave a holler to my sisters on welfare, Tupac cares, if don't nobody else care, you know, you know, encouraging women to dry your eyes, never let up, keep your head up, and not accept the disrespect of black men in our community who may not have seen, like, the, uh, what's the, how am I trying to say? Who may not have been exposed to, like, the the power of, like, you know, really strong black leaders in the way that he was yeah. in his young life. I think it's one of those interesting things about Tupac that, unfortunately, just like a lot of things in history gets lost because when people pass away it's like the a lot of the imagery of him that people that sticks with people is like the wild like thug dude getting in trouble that people don't realize that Tupac is a guy that was raised by women that like cared very much about his sister and was like really you know for for all the contradictions that rappers have I don't think I don't think that there was like any like uh I mean I guess there's there's definitely misogynistic Tupac lyrics but not like dehumanizing like misogynistic Tupac lyrics. Does that make sense? I mean we could definitely find worse huh? examples, huh? yes. <laughs> we could definitely find like worse yeah, examples. Exactly. You know, like <laughs> So White Man's World was a nineteen came out September twenty sixth, nineteen ninety six. Um, it's it's uh, Outlaws member EDI Mean provided some background information on the song. So it's a personal record. It's like an open letter to his mother and his sister. It's like he's writing from jail and just apologizing for a lot of shit. At 25, we're all trying to grow up and change, figure shit out. Um, a lot of people don't remember that he, that, you know, he was only 25 at the time. He was still a kid. Um, and so, um, this is sort of like a, a letter to his family of like yo apologize for fucking up but in it it's got an interesting couple of lines um about like learning the lessons of uh never falling for riches 
apologizing to his true sisters, um, far from bitches, um, that they helped, you know, help me raise my black nation, reparations are due, and that it's so true, caught up in this world, I took advantage of you, but tell them babies how I love them, precious boys and girls, born black in this white man's world. So there's like hinting at like the ways that, un like pin under the boot of like racial capitalism, like we, we get pitted against each other, like you know, black men versus black women, um, you know, black men versus black men, uh, lower class whites versus, uh, you know, lower class blacks, we're, you know, and we're falling for the riches we're, when really, uh, we're all valuable, and really, if we got our fair share, you know, we could like rise up and not deal with the shit. It was one of those uh, post songs after he died. It's one of the Ma Machiavelli songs. I I always yeah. wonder, um, because a lot the thing with like a lot of those songs to me that's always stuck out is like none of that stuff feels like rush it's usually like a lot of it is the type of songs that you have to think about you know what i'm saying like as far as like that you would imagine somebody who's writing it has to think about it doesn't feel like oh this is just some bullshit that i'm doing in the studio it's like really still like politically charged or very emotional songs and stuff like that that he did at some point when he was still alive by like the tens <laughs> just, just, he just did like albums and albums worth of songs like these that are hidden gems throughout because i had never even like thought about this shit i've heard this album a couple times back in the day but i've never even recalled this song and this is like kind of following on the same themes that he was going when he was uh, making dear mama it's like that same sort of uplifting like you know like uplifting black women in the community even though they're not getting their proper due respect from everybody else sort of vibe that that song had to it and then our last uh it's actually not a song it's a poem i didn't know that tupac released a book of poetry that uh, oh, poems yeah. that he wrote between 1989 and 1991 um published by it's like through mtv books i don't know mtv printed i didn't books. know about that i mean i remember um, that i remember that book the rose that grew from concrete but i didn't i didn't know it was published by mtv books and so i guess most deaf did an interpretation of a tupac poem that in the original evokes black panther party for self-defense ethos can you see the pride in the panther as she nurtures her young all alone the seed um, when they talk about, can you see the pride of the Black Panther as he grows in splendor and grace, toppling obstacles placed in the way of the progression of yeah, his race? Fresh. I don't think I ever heard that shit before. Again, like I knew about this book. I didn't know that they put out a whole album where different artists were doing interpretations of it, though. But I, that's something that I've kind of always wanted them to just rappers to start doing in general is like, I think cats should not be afraid to do covers in hip-hop the way they do in other forms of music because you know like a rock band can be like hey we want to give a shout out to smashing pumpkins and then do their interpretation of a smashing pumpkin song but how come you know like how come you can't get like migos doing their version of a ludicrous song or some shit like that like i would want to see that i would want to see one of these new rappers like give a shout out to dmx and do their version of Rough Riders Anthem or something like that. So this is fresh. I gotta check this out. Hi, right, that's dope. Learn something new today. 
But yeah, that's all we so got for this we week. We are going to be back with you next week. What are we going to do next week? Do we know yet? I don't know. It's going to be a mystery. It's going to be a mystery, but whatever it is, it's going to be dope. But you know how we always close it off. We got to get that beat so that we can spit some rhymes. Joel, my good man, can we get a instrumental? Oh, oh. Wait, no reparations. Wait, no reparations. You got it? They thought that marketing me would be that simple. On that single, next to get linked, what to be a sex symbol? I said, I get it. Sexually, I'm delectable, but intellectually, I'm like cheddar cheese for cholesterol. Hella, hella elevated. You are Loella, and my eloquence. Well, I bet you seven cents if you tell us later. I bet you 37 cents attorney feminist by the time that we well acquainted. <laughs> Femininity has plenty enemies from the center of Venice to the western end of Tennessee. If you looking for honey loving, tenderly in the sheets, yes again, yeah. motherfucker, I'm frenzied and indiscreet. Uh. Not a lot of MCs that try to rock to this I say I'm dope, you perceive that as confidence I got green, plant seeds like a botanist And I got speed, you gon' need that Robotnik The roast from concrete, I do it like Tupacalypse And eat these rappers like they chocolate chip I could not resist Hit the pressure points until you call me Spock and shit Waiting on reparations, certified to be rocking it Yeah, yeah, it's like dope Dope, dope, dope Hey, my name's Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca. And we are waiting on reparations. See you next See week. See you next week. Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.